Hello everyone, it's Cole Cruz, and you're listening to the KC Atmobis podcast for the 18th of August 2019. Uh, no, I can't. <laughs> it's the 22nd of August 2019, sorry, I can't say it's a Sunday. Um, this podcast was supposed to come out on a Sunday, yes, I did say that. Um, but I'm just trying to get this um, this setup right. I still haven't got this C-clip for the thing, uh, for the microphone. And um, it's in a very awkward setup at the moment. Um, I'm just trying to work out what's going on there. Um, I've just started trying different ways, I think, of, of, of different uh, of doing things. And um, I want to see if it, if it kind of works out. Um, once I get this clip tomorrow, I can hopefully um, be able to record it in a room where there's not going to be much sound around me, so nothing's going to be... Uh, nothing's going to um, interrupt anything. Um, there's not going to be birds in the background or anything like that. If I do feel like going outside, sure, but I'm probably mostly record, going to record in my room where there's little, very little sound, um, and when it's 3.30 in the fucking morning. Um, so yes, this is the podcast supposed to be coming, come out on Sunday, so sorry for that again. Um, yeah, just trying to work out things, I'm just trying to see, test out different things, as I said, and see how they work, um, um, and, and working, and trying to organize a few things that I want to do down the, down the line as well. Uh, but let's do it. Let's talk about it. Um, our films here. Finally going to give my thoughts on Midsummer. Uh, I went and saw Midsummer last Thursday and I'll be giving my thoughts, um, on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, both are non-spoiler. I will do, I'm thinking about doing a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, spoiler review Maybe, uh, but I'll definitely do, I'm definitely going to do a Midsummer um, spoiler talk down the road when that Blu-ray gets released on uh, September 24th. Uh, probably 25th here, I'm guessing. But um, it's coming, it's coming close. It's coming close. Um, yeah, so let's, and I might talk about some TV shows in the end. I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what happens, we might get around to it. But I want to talk about, um, first of all, I want to talk about Midsummer. Um finally saw this on Thursday. Now, now as, as I told you guys before, I think on the podcast that the film wasn't even playing in Newcastle. So I didn't, um, I had no access to it. And then when we were going on a Sydney trip to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I had, I had free time during the day and I saw that Midsummer was playing at the cinema we were going to and I was like, well, fucking may as well knock it out. So um, went in there um, to, to accompany a two hour, 41 minute film. I watched a two hour and 20 minute film. Um, dour, yeah, you could say that. Um, but but very very effective. Um, I, you could say that as well. Now, um, if you guys don't know who has done Midsummer, um, it's Ari Aster's uh, next film after he made Hereditary, which is a big hit with the critics in in two thousand and eighteen, and not so much of a big hit with the um, with audiences, but a huge huge hit. With um with critics and just didn't make just it didn't make enough money at the uh, at the um, box office. I think it got a D cinema score, which is pretty bad. Um, but I, I, it got a lot of um appraisal from critics um, and film buffs and film lovers um, like myself. I really loved Hereditary, um, except I think the third act. I think wasn't I wasn't a fan of that third act. But um, we, we can talk about it another time. And I've already talked about Heritary, I believe, before in this podcast. But safe to say that Ari Aster is a filmmaker to keep your eye on. And 
especially after midsummer. Holy shit. Or will I be keeping keeping my eye closely on an Arasta film? Now, um Arasta, um, he when he really when he announced that Midsummer was being made straight after Hereditary came out, I didn't put it in my top ten list. Um, but I did I should have put it I should have put it in there in the top ten. Um I had a lot of uh, I don't know what was in the top 10 list because I did that quite a while ago but um, I should have definitely put this film in my top 10 list because oh my god <laughs> um, it's going to be very hard to talk about this movie without getting into different um, you know, sp- uh, events and um, spoilers so spoiler territory so I'm not going to do a spoiler review so unfortunately this is going to be uh, very surface level and very vague thoughts on Midsummer, but um, maybe maybe a convincing of you guys to go see it. I don't I don't know, but here we go. So I want to say before I start this review, after watching this film, I'm going to be there almost day one. If it doesn't come to Newcastle, we'll have to go to Sydney. But I'm going to be there in the early days when Arias releases a new film, because this is a filmmaker that really really loves cinema, really gets cinema, and almost feels masterful in his filmmaking, and this is his second film, and um, just the team he puts together, the actors he gets, especially his lead females, he is just, he's just fantastic, it is fantastic the work he puts on screen, and um, just how good it looks as well, Um, but I know that people not, don't really gravitate towards his kind of filmmaking. I know, um, uh, just a little bit of tidbit, my cousin and my nan actually watched Hereditary um, last night and they texted me afterwards and then I said, what the fuck did we just watch? <laughs> and um, and I, I, I understand that, you know, Ari Aster's film, film, um, films are not for everyone. And um, he, there's a lot of subject matter and events that um, take place in his movies, his two movies so far, that have turned audiences off and have that have caused a lot of controversy and, and split audiences. Um, I, you know, you know, got, you know me guys, I love the weird shit, so I fully embraced it. And it's not just for shock value. There are there are there is things behind it. Surely he. Sure, he does put it on display to shock audiences, but I don't think it's very surface level shock value. I think it's very effective what comes behind it. And when you contextualize those shock events within the story, uh, I think it really, really works. Um, but it's been three days since I saw this film and I just, I can't get it out of my head. I, I can't stop thinking about it. There are so many layers and elements within this movie that I want to dissect, that I want to explore, analyze. Um, and there's so many articles that I need to be reading um, once I'm... Once I'm Because I came out of the cinema and I couldn't even... I couldn't even put my words in... Like, put my thoughts into words. I couldn't even tell people what I thought of the movie. I, I just said... I just... I, yeah. I, yep. I saw it. I saw Midsummer. Um... I don't know if it's good. <laughs> like, I couldn't even put my thoughts into words, into real, like, I didn't, I, it's like it didn't make any sense. Um, but when I did, I put a review up on um, Letterboxd actually a few, on, on Sunday before I did, um, before I wasn't into the podcast, but ended up not doing it. Um, 
I did put her a f- kind of verbal review up on uh, on um, Letterboxd, and I did say that I've come to a small fraction of a conclusion of what this film's about, and um, I'll get to that in a second. But I just want to give you guys um, pretty much let you know what's going on in this movie. What's going on? So as I said before, it's written and directed by Ari Aster, um, who uh, has, now has two really good horror movies under his belt. Um, but he wants to make a zonky co- comedy next. Apparently, he he called it a zonky comedy, uh, which I'd love to see because Midsummer does have elements of comedy, um, and they're very fucking funny. <laughs> when um, they're like weirdly funny, but it, it's like the kind of humor I like. So it kind of caught me off guard a few times as well, and it, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so it's about Midsummer is about um, a woman named Danny who's excellently played by Florence Pugh. We'll get to the performances in a minute. Uh, her family, um, she experiences a tragedy. I'll say that. Uh, I, I won't. It the, the event that kind of transpires that uh, that gets her character to go to Sweden um, does happen within the first scene of the movie. So I don't really feel like it's spoiling it if I say it's a family tragedy. But it's a family tragedy that happens, and um, that kind of puts her in a very, very uh, fragile emotional state. Um, her boyfriend Christian is planning to break up with her, and so of her friends are it's kind of sick of her as well. And um, their kind of relationship I would describe as toxic. I would describe it as very toxic. And uh, they, um, Danny gets invited by Pele, who is a friend of uh, Christian's, to come to Sweden to come to this a midsummer festival which happens every 90 years and in this place in Sweden. And um, it's, it's originally supposed to be the other boys going and then Danny finds out and then Pele invites Danny and then Danny goes along with them. And once they get there, uh, shit just hits the fan. We'll just say that. <laughs> uh, shit gets wild. Um, but it's not just like wild for the sake of wild. It's just, it's really, really, really effective stuff that's going on here. Um, and that's all I can say about the plot really. Uh, it, it, again, I, I, I have to talk about certain things and things I loved, I would have to get in the spoilers and I don't want to do that for you guys right now. Um, I'm going to wait till the Blu-ray comes out and hopefully about have a guest on that has seen Midsummer and we can talk about it. Um, but I'm definitely going to do that down the road to get that done. Um, just my God, man, the, the filmmaking on display here is just absolutely masterful. Um, the cinematography, the composition of shots, it's like the shot list is laid out in front of me, but Ari Aster has actually said that sometimes he doesn't even go off a shot list and there's a lot more improvisation within this film than um, Hereditary. And, uh, wow, I think I want to I shout out the cinematographer here that has also worked on Hereditary. Um, Paul Progorski? Paul Progorski, I think his name is. Um, f- fucking phenomenal. Like, he and Ari Aster are a, a perfect, perfect team. Because um, you're going to get a really good-looking film with great-looking shots, um, great camera work, and beautiful direction behind all their shots and you know everything within that shot it's just a perfect melding of a creative team um it's like when you have when you finally when a director has finally found um you know myself being a director and a writer when you finally find that person that 
is going to like you kind of uh, click with I guess it's hard to say you kind of click with and you know you get along well creatively and it's everything just works um it's kind of like that and I did listen to um the A24 podcast with uh, Ari Aster and Robert Eggers when they talked about that putting that together putting that editing team together as well he's worked with the same editor as well I think and um I just I just love it man I love it. I absolutely just love the filmmaking going on here. Um, it is just incredible. I love his wides. I love um, Ari's or Pals or whoever's idea has come up with these beautiful fucking wides. I love these wides. Um, and the long takes are just excellent. Um, Ari has actually gone on to say that he does not actually do um, coverage in the film. He likes to just... When he, when he has that shot list, he goes for those wides and he doesn't worry about doing coverage. And as a director, as a director, that actually does um, kind of hurt a bit because, you know, you're taught as a director to, to get as much coverage as you can for a scene. And um, so you can, so you're not like lost in the editing room. You can use that kind of shot and put that into the um, assembly. But, and Ari has actually said that, he, you know, he knows that is, is dangerous, but he just knows that when he goes into the room, when he goes in the editing room, for him, it's he knows exactly what shot to use. And um, and uh, he, he knows what to put where and uh, how he's going to do it and how he, how he edits it. Um, but I think this is a conversation I have for the spoiler podcast because I really want to get into what, how this is made and, and all that stuff. Um, I also just want to give it up before... Um, shout out to before I you know ramble on again production design Henrik Svensson holy shit uh, the production design is one of the biggest shining elements in this movie um, it is absolutely just beautiful um, as they uh, stars have said in interviews or Aria said in interviews watch the walls and holy shit yeah watch the walls because Henrik Svensson's work is just so it's just exquisite. It's just be- so beautiful looking. And I've never seen anything like the kind of work that Svensson has, has done here um, for a horror film, really. And the whole film takes place in the daytime. So you see all the walls and all their glory. And that's helped by the cinematography by Powell as well. Um, it's just a, it's a gorgeous looking film. Every It's just firing on all cylinders um, production-wise. And it's just... It's, it's fucking, it's, it's just good. It's just good. I mean, I can't find another word for it, but yeah, it's just good. Um, let's get to the performances because holy shit. Um, I do actually have some, this is where they're kind of, uh, my, I do have some negatives for this movie, but they'll come in in a minute. But I just want to say Florence Pugh is fucking incredible. Um, I have, I've actually seen her work in Lady Macbeth, and apparently that's what Ari saw her in. Lady Macbeth decided to put her in this movie. But she was really good in Lady Macbeth. She's really good in Fighting My Family. She's good in Outlaw King. And Florence was always going to be one to watch for me ever since I did watch Lady Macbeth. And then finding finding out that she was being put into more of these other movies. Um, yeah, love it. And then when she was going to be in this movie... Uh, I just, yeah, because the casting kind of surprised me. You got Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, Will Poulter, William Jackson Harper. Uh, William Jackson Harper, you guys know, will know from he's cheaty from The Good Place. Um, yeah, it's a really, really strong cast, and you've got all the Swedish cast as well, um, who I, I'm not really 
familiar with, but um, they were also really good. Pele was really good, the guy who played Pele. Um, but Florence Pugh just is just so strong here. Again, vulnerable. Just a shattering and physically and emotionally demanding performance um, from her and from Tony Collette. So it just goes to show, if you're a female in an Ari Aster film, you're always, you're, you're going to get a good reaction from me, I think. <laughs> you're a lead female in Ari Aster film, well, you're going to get a lot to do because, oh my God, um, she goes for a lot in this movie. I will say that um, I know why, how her character is written, like why her character is written like this, but it was very, very hard to cut the terms with how submissive that character, her character was in the film, Danny. Um, she's always apologizing for a lot of things and always taking unnecessary blame. And it just didn't make it like, I, I guess it kind of made sense because that's just the person she is. That's the person that Christian is, but it was just so, I couldn't help but be so frustrated with her character and how her character is written. Um, but I do understand why they're like that because I know what Ariaster is trying to, I, I mean, I, I believe, I think I know. Now that I've come to a bit of an understanding of what Ariaster was doing with this movie. Um, uh, but I will say the characters kind of feel like vessels to me. They're very empty. Um, they really get no sympathy for me. The only person that gets just the tiniest bit of sympathy for me is Danny, is Florence Pierce Danny. But, um, during the third act, even you're just questioning a lot of things, really. You're just questioning why, and then you're just asking what and how. <laughs> so many questions, um, but also like so many, um, yeah, wow. But it's it's all again. As I will say again, it's just all so effective, and the ending is probably going to determine like what you thought, like what you overall thought of the movie. If it does make it, you know. Um, better than Hereditary because for me uh, Midsummer, I think is I like it better than Hereditary I don't think it's a better film or anything like that but because um, they're both kind of the same to me one takes place in the dark one takes place in the day um, whereas Hereditary looks at death and grief I believe that Midsummer is about a relationship and um, a breakup going for a breakup because Ari, Ari himself has actually said that this is based off a bre actual breakup that he had. Um, but this is a look at a breakup, a bad relationship, a toxic relationship. Um, and also I believe like codependency as well. Uh, that's just my take on it. Um, I just wanted to kind of slide that in with my thoughts there. Just as my take, but I'm going to be reading a lot more articles and and, and um, reading a, get a little a lot more research, read, watch a lot of interviews of Ari himself, and try to put together more of an opinion. I'm going to keep thinking about it. I haven't stopped thinking about it. I'm still thinking about it. Of what I like, what is going to be the last kind of I mean, last kind of opinion of it, and 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 the conclusion that I'll come to about Midsummer. Um, it's just a film that baffles me in a good way and just has me constantly thinking and and um, trying to analyze like what's going on. I need I really want to see it again, but I've got to go all the way to Sydney to watch it again. So um, <laughs> this, you know it's it'd be hard to do hard to do I'll say that. It'd be hard to do when you're living in Newcastle and you've um, got to take trains and buses to get to um, the cinemas that you need to go to. But 
I will be watching it again. I mean, it's going to kill me to wait till September 24th because I believe that's when the Blu-ray is coming out. Um, Ari actually showed the 171 director's cut that he was talking about working on because, little fun fact, the assembly cut was four hours long and A24 mercifully was like, you might want to cut that one down. Uh, so he got it down to 2020. But then he mentioned that he was already making a, um, a half an hour longer cut um, sitting at two hours and 50 minutes, almost three hours. So I'm really, really excited to see what, see what he does there and see if there's more scenes, um, that, uh, either build on what we're seeing, recontextualize what we're seeing. Um, cause I, I hear it's more dark and more rewarding, um, from sources. So, um, I'm, yeah, I'm really, really, really keen to see what happens when I watch it again see how I think about it again will I like it even more a second time I, I don't know but this film just has me thinking 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 and I just can't stop thinking about it another thing I didn't really like as well that I want to just slip in um, there's a lot of obvious foreshadowing that I'm just not a fan of I don't like because um, Jordan Peele did it with us and I didn't like it as well I just didn't like how it was all in front of us the whole time. I get to watch the walls, and it'd be cool if you could look at all the walls and see the kind of what's going on on the walls. But there's just a lot of there's a few scenes. I wouldn't say there's a lot. There's a few scenes where you can see it right in front of you, and you're like, "Oh, okay. Well, is that going? That's probably going to happen, right? Yeah, okay. And then it does happen, and then yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just so many more layers and details and things to talk about. Uh, I'll need to do a full breakdown of this when I get it again on blu-ray um, and, I, and I really can't wait to do that so guys that's my thoughts on midsummer um, if you if you're if you're in Sydney um, you need you, you watch it please it's it's definitely not one to miss um, even if you didn't like hereditary you might even like midsummer I've heard that people didn't like hereditary and they liked midsummer um, I really liked hereditary but it's I, but I just happen to like midsummer more so um, yeah, there's that. And the 250 minute cut, I really... Um, a fortunate thing is, though, the... I, mean, I think it was reported yesterday that the 250 minute cut is not going to be on the Blu-ray release, the physical Blu-ray release, which is a little disheartening because I really wanted to watch the cut and, um, like, that cut, that specific director's cut. Um, look, I wouldn't even mind seeing the four-hour cut, really. <laughs> um... But uh, hopefully we'll be able to get that in if, at like a 4K release. I, I don't know. But it'd be cool to see it. I'm still going to watch it anyway when it comes out. So. Righto. That's my thoughts on Midsummer. Let's move on to a, or again, an almost two hour and 50 minute film. This is sitting at 2041 though. Um, we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino's this... Um, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now this movie is my number one most anticipated movie of the year. Um, ever since it was announced, I was very keen for it. I'm a, I'm a very big Tarantino fan. Um, follow, seeing all of his movies, follow all of his stuff. Um, love what he does. Love his, um, his uh, writing, his scripts. Even though when you actually read a script of his, it kind of decimates all rules of screenwriting and you do get a little frustrated, um, particularly with my format of writing. But... I mean, I still love the dialogue that he puts on screen. The characters that he makes are just memorable. And um, his movies are just very unique in a, in a way, and they're, and they're quite original. 
he's definitely one one of my favorite filmmakers um really up there so i was extremely excited to see once upon a time in hollywood uh we got it two weeks after the u.s which is you know i was a little yeah you could say i was a little pissed but because people were already, you know, talking about it. There's already spoiler reviews out. And you had to re- you had to avoid those for like two, three weeks. It was it was pretty annoying. But I bought my ticket day one for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 35 millimeter screen at um, the Ritz Cinema in Randwick, which is a fantastic cinema, one of my favorite cinemas. Um, probably is my favorite cinema in Sydney. Um, but really love that cinema, guys. If you want to go to a really nice cinema that kind of looks celebrates the vintage, but um, Really great service as well, and uh, has big screens. Ritz Cinema uh, at Randwick. It's a really, really nice place. I remember the last time I was there, I watched, um, I think it was The Killing of a Sacred Deer, I think. And that was quite a long time ago. But um, I went and saw Midsummer in the daytime, and then in the nighttime, uh, in the afternoon, about 4.30, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, was uh, rolling on the screen. Um, I will say, this this was my first ever experience watching a film, like a film on film. Um, I had never been to a film screening before, like a thirty five millimeter or a seventy millimeter screening, um, and it was very different. Caught me off guard at first because um, the movie, like the screen started and it started to jitter a lot, and there was a lot of shaking in the, in the center of the screen, and then there's a lot of um, like lines and grain and I was like oh I'm watching it that's right I'm sure <laughs> I forgot I'm watching it on film like it's a huge fucking screen as well and I was like oh yeah yeah shit I forgot I was watching it on, on, on film on actual film so it kind of caught me off guard at, at first but I settled in and really fucking enjoyed it um, now before I get into my thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I feel like I need to say um, give a bit of a warning uh, there's a lot of people that have seen this movie already, come out of it, and said that's not what they paid for or, or what they wanted um, from a Tarantino movie. From the trailers, really, from the trailers, definitely from the trailers, I'd say. Um, they were not expecting that. They they, they were saying it was too long, um, just pointless, goes nowhere. And, I mean, yeah, it, it kind of does, but that's what I like about it. Um, so... I want to say that this is not the movie that's been advertised in the trailers. It kind of looks like a kind of a buddy cop with um, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, being together and, um, you know, shooting the shit. There's a lot of shooting the shit, but there's not a lot of shooting, 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 if you know what I mean. There's no, um, not much action um, uh, but until the third act, but we'll get to the third act in a minute. So it's a very long movie about two characters hanging out, chatting, going about their down about their day. I'd say three characters really, because Sharon Tate, uh, Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate does that as well. Uh, it was a really great scene with her in the cinema. Um, that was really really cool. So it's not your fast paced action movie that kind of looks like it's in the trailer. Um, it's I, I'm going to call it Tarantino's two hour and forty minute love letter and homage, ultimate homage to Hollywood in the 1970s. Um, that's what I kind of got off this film. It's a very um, reflective and meditative movie of, of his, and it's probably his most personal film um, that he's made. And uh, it is definitely about, instead of being about these two guys and everything, it's kind of like a metaphor for the death of the Golden Age cinema and the movie star um, 
you know, the an actual movie star, not like your actors nowadays. Your big names like Leonardo DiCaprio, and I see why he wanted to cast DiCaprio, Pitt, Robbie, fucking Pacino. There's, this cast is just in, in crazy. It's crazy, and they're all just in this movie, but they're not doing but big things. It, it's such a, in a way, it's a big film because of all the cast, but it's also his smallest film. Um, just, of just in terms of like what's happening in it. Um, and again, I will, I will say there's not much plot to it. Um, it's mainly about Leonardo DiCaprio, who's, uh, plays Rick Dalton, who is an actor in the, in, in the late 1960s, um, specifically 1969. And, uh, he has a, his stunt double Cliff Booth played by Brad Pitt and they kind of go about their day and there's just a lot of them driving around Los Angeles um, they kind of go on their side adventures as well. Uh, there's a lot of them, a lot of scenes of them just hanging out, driving around, talking, um, talking about life, shooting shit, and even just you know getting drunk, watching one of their television shows. And it's just a lot of that, really. Um, and Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate, again, just goes about a day. Um, uh, you see her kind of. Uh, her kind of day with uh, Roman Polanski because she was married to Roman Polanski during that time. And um, you, you see that from Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth perspective. And it's just, it, uh, yeah, I, I just have to say, it's just a, there's a lot of that. It's just a lot of scenes, really long scenes, long takes of characters talking, driving around, just going about their day. But it's all about what Tarantino puts into the puts into it and what's in the background and just how much love he has i mean you can definitely tell the passion and love he has for cinema at this time uh, this is definitely his favorite time and um there's just a lot of things that tarantino puts into it that you know yeah it, it's it's very self-indulgent um it's definitely his i'd say it's his most self-indulgent but it's also his most mature i'd say film and reflective um because i wasn't sure what i was getting into either and then the movie started and uh it was about you know 10 minutes played and i was like okay i think i know what's going to go on like I, I know what kind of movie i'm expecting now and that's what i got and then once when i was on board i was fine and i fucking loved it um I love the driving scenes through Hollywood and the long scenes of great dialogue between all these great characters. Um, and because they're so small, so small scenes, and it's the big uh, actors doing this, um, it's DiCaprio and Pitt just chatting. And it's, it's sometimes, it's, Sharon, it's Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate, just going about a day, watching a movie of hers in the cinema. And just talking to different people, buying a book from the bookstore. And it's just a lot of that. And I think if you put... Um, if you put, like, any other any other actor there, I think, like, if you... Because nowadays, we get a lot of breakout stars. And... Uh, then they get given more roles, especially... Um, one of them is actually in this movie, uh, Maya Hawke, that just much, just came out of nowhere. Um, had Stranger Things season three, who was one of my favorite parts of that season. 
and then her being in this film and her mother, Uma Thurman, being in you know, Kill, both Kill Bill's movies. Um, yeah. Um, what was I saying again? Yeah, like one of the... We get a lot of break... Oh, that's what I was trying to say. Breakout stars. Um, sad they worked me way back on it. I was going off the tracks there. Um, we got a lot of breakout stars. I'll just say that. Um, one of my favorites being, I mean, Florence Pugh is a breakout star. Uh, Only Taylor Joy. There's a lot of, there's a lot of breakout stars which have great performances in certain films and then they give it, give more films and you just keep watching them and that, that builds them to be the next star. Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt have been around for a very, very long time and they're definitely, will be considered a movie star. Um... The definition of movie star to me, um, my common definition is an actor that's been around for a very long time that everyone goes to watch has been in a lot of movies and is always just has a has a has, has a presence about them, and whenever you go to see that movie, you um, you would go to see the movie for that particular actor. Uh, I'd say Dwayne the Rock Johnson is a movie star. Um, most people that go to some of his films are going specifically to go see the Rock in that film. So he is definitely a movie star. Um, I could I could say Kevin Hart's a movie star because he's he, it's a, it's a name that drives the product. I'm gonna say. Um, like you're not gonna go watch um, like a crazy you know independent film with actors you've never seen, and it's not gonna be the big name when you. The, I mean the names will be on the poster, but they're not gonna be the. Um, they're not going to be the biggest feature on it. Let's say the film is, it's an independent film with a lot of unknown actors and the director is um, like Ari Aster, for example. Ari Aster would be at, in the front. It would say from the director of Hereditary Midsummer, Because um, Midsummer says the same thing from the director of Hereditary. Um, but when you're selling a picture with a big actor, it's always the actor's name that's right front and center. So you know exactly what, what movie they're in. Uh, you know exactly who's going to be in that movie and you know exactly who you're going to see um, that movie for, that particular actor. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, for example, just has... Um, it says Leonardo DiCaprio right on the front, has him front and center. So everyone goes to that movie to see Leonardo DiCaprio. People didn't even know who Jordan Belfort was. They come away thinking that that's one of Leonardo DiCaprio's best performances. Um, I'm getting a little sidetracked, but that's what I'm just trying to say. That if anyone did these kind of scenes, it would kind of come off. It would come off as kind uh, as dragging a little bit and a little boring. But it's it's the fact. It is the fact that these stars, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, are doing this. It kind of feels special in a way, and um, it's just cool to see that. Um, especially the scene where they're um, watching um, one of uh, Rick Dalton's old TV shows that used to be on Bounty Law. Which Tarantino has actually written ten episodes of of a fake tele- television show, and you do see some of that at the um, beginning of the film as well. Um, Cliff and uh, Rick working on Bounty Law. I won't say how the film like opens and everything like that, but it's cool to see that. And uh, yeah, he actually has talked about Tarantino has actually talked about uh, making that show if he could because he's already written ten episodes of it, uh, which is just, I mean, it's it's fascinating to me that he's done that 
Uh, DiCaprio himself is great. It is easily one of his best performances. Um, he plays Rick. He just embodies the character of Rick Dalton, really, as a dying movie star, a dying breed. And um, he's getting put in lots of side projects. He's no longer the lead star. He's either a villain or he's getting put in side projects. Um, uh, there's a really great scene when he fucks up a take and he has to go back to his trailer and he talks about like not drinking anymore and oh, it's, it's fantastic. It, I call it the freak out scene. It is fantastic and it's DiCaprio's, it's some of his best work really. Um, and wow, it, it's just, it's so fu- and it's funny. It's so good. But to me, uh, Brad Pitt as Cliff Booth just steals this movie. Um, every single scene he's in is entertaining. I loved his character. I just loved how just his character of Cliff Booth is just a great character. Um, he, it's he just he doesn't care. Like he he even though he's not getting this you know the same work as Rick and he's he doesn't he doesn't care about that. He likes being the stuntman. He loves driving Rick around and and kind of being he's, he's still his friend because he gets to hang out with him and um, gets to have his car for the day. Um. Yeah, and he's, I, just, I just think that Brad Pitt in a Tarantino movie is always going to be good. Um, have you seen Inglourious Bastards? He's excellent in that movie. Um, so Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are really, really good in this movie, especially Brad Pitt. Uh, Margot Robbie, though, she's great as Sharon Tate, but I feel she was kind of underutilized, and uh, she should have been. She could have been given more to do. Um, I know that a lot of people have come away with that, and one of and one of the biggest things was Margot Robbie has nothing to do. Like she just sits there and watches a movie, and then she doesn't do, and she just walks around, and and that's it. So I think there was she could have been more to do, um, but again, I really loved her scene in the movie theater. Uh, genuine happiness to me is it's hard to display on on a screen, And, uh, like, actually being really, really happy. I've tried to do it on auditions. I've tried to do it on, on you know, on some films I've worked on. And it just, it's it's hard. It's really, really hard to work up. And that scene just captures it so beautifully. Um, I absolutely loved it. Now, the film does drag a little bit in the second act. But it really, really fucking picks up in the third act. The first act and the third act of this movie are great. Uh, especially the third act. The third act is just fucking insane, and it's what you go to a Tarantino movie for. Um, I will say that if you if you if you were disappointed by everything else in the movie, in the third act you're going to get what you give them because that's what a Tarantino movie. That's what you go there for. You do there for you do go there for the great dialogue and great characters, but it's always going to be that crazy third act that you go for in a Tarantino movie. And this movie's third act is one of its is one of his best. <laughs> it's it's absolutely insane and so perfectly over the top um i couldn't have it any um have couldn't have it any other way it's it's beautiful it's just fucking awesome uh, but you do get a sense of uh victory with that uh scene but you do get also a little bit of melancholy as well because of what actually happened and, and took place in real life uh, with sharon tate and with the Manson family, um, and that's what I'll get, that's what I'll talk about next, uh, because a, a bit of the backdrop of this movie is the Manson family and the Manson family murders, specifically the murder of Sharon Tate and all of her friends um, on Cielo Drive. Um, 
there's not a lot to do. Charles Manson, I will say, is in this for like 45 seconds. So, spoiler, but yeah, I just want to give you a heads up. He's only in it for about 45 seconds. It's kind of more of a backdrop for the film and and not much of a driving force. It's more of a, more of a backdrop, but it does come into play within the third act. I will say, though, you will need to have previous knowledge of the Manson family cult and Charles Manson because... Even if even it working as a backdrop, these characters do pop up, and you're probably asking, "Oh, what the fuck are these people? Who are who are these people, and what they, you know, what do they do?" And then what happens in the end? Um, it it kind of hits harder in the end, especially um, um, in the last fifteen minutes, in in the third act, in the last fifteen minutes, what actually happens. Having that knowledge of actual history is going to help, I think, and make those scenes more impactful for you. Um, so I will say that. But overall, um, it's not Tarantino's best movie. Uh, it's not his worst. But it's certainly not his worst. Uh, I, I'd say it's more... Uh, if I were to rank it, I mean, I'm not probably going to do rankings, but if I were to rank it, I'd probably put it like maybe maybe fourth or fifth, maybe. Uh, but it definitely is his funniest movie. It's his most mature movie and uh, most reflective film with great performances. Um, really great soundtrack as well. Um, I started listening to a lot of Neil Diamond <laughs> after uh, l- uh, watching this movie. So yeah, that's what I'll say about uh, those two films. Finally, my thoughts on those movies. Um, again, I will be getting to a bit of a review of Midsummer, um, more of a spoiler review of Midsummer down the road. And I'm really, 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 really much looking forward to that. Um, just before I go. Just before I go, head off. I want to talk about um, Euphoria. It it just finished its uh, first season, and if you're, if you're not watching it, I just want a quick quick shout out to it. If you're not watching it, it's it's so good. It captures high school in a, in a way that I don't think many films do. All TV shows do. The cinematography is incredible. Directing is great. Performances are great. Um, specifically Hunter Schaefer, Zendaya, Sydney Sweeney's really good in this, in this, and Sydney Sweeney's also in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well, she's one of the uh, Manson girls, um, but it's a really, really good show, really, really effective, and that, um, I'm kind of mixed on the, on the ending, but I liked it, episode four though, which takes place at the carnival, chef's kiss, beautiful stuff, and, um, Mindhunter season two, it's, it's currently on Netflix now, if you didn't watch Nine Hunter season one, it's about the people that came together to work on the name of serial killer to profile different different um, killers, and it's Taylor came up with the term serial killer, and it's about them interviewing different um, serial killers and uh, getting there and kind of um, seeing how they work mentally and what brings them to the point of them killing someone. Um, it's based on the books by Joe Douglas. It's created by Joe Pennell, produced and directed by David Fincher, also produced by Charlie Theron. And it's just a really, really great show. If, if you're sick of like, because there's, a, just, there's just a lot of content out there, especially on Netflix about serial killers, because every, we're just so fascinated with the, how they work and, and, and just what goes through their mind. Um, Mindhunter literally is you're hunting their mind. Um, you're you're working out how they how they operate and um, what really brought them to that point, and using their knowledge of the killers that they uh, know and are talking to, 
it helps them catch present killers that they're trying to um, chase in the um, in the kind of present timeline of the show. Uh, season two was really really good. It's not um, better than season one. I think it's just as good though. It's not better, but it's just as good. And uh, I think uh, I like how they gave Bill Tench more to do in this um, scene. It's quite, kind of like how they switch perspectives. You worked, you looked more at Holden Ford in season one, and you looked at Bill Tench in uh, season two. And I liked that. I just didn't like the storyline with Anna Tor's character, Doctor Wendy Carr. Um, I didn't really like that uh, her little her little lesbian kind of subplot with um, um, Kay, with the bartender. Didn't really like that. I thought that was a bit of a waste of time. Only, only because it didn't go nowhere. I wasn't. I didn't really like. I, when I saw it, I didn't go like, "Oh, I can't fucking get along with this." But I just, I just thought it didn't really go anywhere. And and then even Tench's kind of family affairs diminished towards the end because we focus more on which is I think is the strongest element of season two, which is the Atlanta plot, the uh, letter child murders, when uh, there was twenty nine. Um, young Atlanta children were murdered by this. Um, it's it's figured to be Wayne Wayne Williams because the show does heavily imply that Williams did perform the last twenty seven, um, the other twenty seven murders. But um, it's it's yeah, I think it's the strongest part of the show really with um, with that plot. Um, and if you're not watching Mindhunter and you want something a bit more analytical, um. A lot more detailed. It, that's definitely the show for you, I think. And if you love, especially if you love David Fincher's work with his more modern look that he goes for, with the kind of um, hazy softness to his um, to his uh, films, a bit more desaturated. And um, but the lighting is just oh, the lighting is beautiful. Love the lighting. Uh, but if you know, you've got heaps of stuff like conversations with serial killers, and you've got. Um, confessions of a serial killer and all that stuff on Netflix, and it's it's more of like a true crime kind of stuff. Mindhunter is kind of like that, a bit more fictionalized, but it's very, very, um, very good. It's very well produced, very well created, very well um, acted. Performances by um, Rob McElhenney and um, uh, Jonathan Groff, Anna Torv. I mean, your main three is is really, really good too. But um, I want to give a shout out to um, season two. Um, some people in season two, um, uh, Albert Jones as Jim Barney is really, really good. I want to shout out to him. Um, and I thought that, um, who was the girl that played Tanya, uh, Tanya Clifton, Sierra Alina McLean, Tyler Clifton, um, Tanya Clifton. She was really, really good. And, um, June Carroll, who plays Camille Bell. Really, really strong performances in season two. Um, so that's definitely a big, a big show that I recommend to watch um, if you're not watching it already. Season one and season two are on Netflix. It's all there for you. Um, there's only eight episodes in season one. There's nine episodes in season two. And it's, I think it's an easy binge, and it's a really, really good binge at that. So I think you enjoy it. Righto. Um, I was going to get into the. Uh, the Sony matter with uh, Marvel and Spider-Man, but I might cover that um, next time. But there's a lot of things going on there. Um, there's a lot of shit to get into there. But I won't do that just yet. So I think I'll just leave you here then. Um, so thanks for listening, and yeah, you can...
Follow the podcast on Spotify. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can go on Instagram and like the Case of the Movies podcast page. Go on Facebook. You can like Kyle Crew's public page on Facebook. Everything is posted there. You'll find everything there. Any updates, any announcements are there. You can go on my letterbox and look at all the reviews I've done for all the films I've watched this year. Um, if you want to go up to date on what I'm doing, you can follow the um, every movie I've watched in 2019 list. Um, it's kind of getting a bit slower because I'm kind of getting a little. Um, there's kind of more. There's more things happening with my life that are um, getting in the way of me just like actually sitting down and watching a movie. It does. I don't want movies to feel like a chore to me. I want to actually watch the film. So um, it's kind of it's it's like well, at the moment it's when I'm in the mood to watch something. So that that list hasn't been updated in a while. But um, I'm, I've got a few things in about my back burner that I need to watch that I'll get to. So uh, yeah, do all that. And um, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. There won't be one. There won't be an extra one next um, this week. But I'll talk to you guys uh, next week. All right. Cheers.